Right, tonight, um, I was thinking about this and um, there was a name coming to my head, Obadiah. And I thought, I don't think I've really heard anybody preach on Obadiah before or a study on Obadiah. So if you turn to the book of Obadiah, I've got to do a study on Obadiah. It's only one chapter and you'll find it uh, at the back of Amos, where Amos finishes. Joel, Amos. You see Joel, Amos, and then Obadiah. So only 21 verses long. And I just want to start off by reading the first four verses. The first four verses. And it says, the vision of Obadiah. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumour from the Lord. (coughs) And an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart have deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground. Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence I will. Will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, yet again, Lord, we marvel, Lord, at your word. We marvel at the riches that are in your word. We marvel at the promises and the truth of your word, Lord. Lord, and we know, Lord, that we can stand upon your word. Lord, it is our solid foundation. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you sent the word, your Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you sent him, Lord, that we may be ransomed, Lord, that he would pay a debt that we could never pay. Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you glory. We give you honour and praise this evening. Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would guide me through your Holy Scripture this evening. Lord, direct me in what to say. Direct me in the verses, Lord. And Lord Jesus, I pray that your name be exalted in everything. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. (coughs) The prophet Obadiah, apart from his name, we know nothing about him. That's it. His name means worshipper or servant of God. Obadiah. And this may seem a little strange, servant or worshipper, but if you actually look at, the, at, at his name, 
and you, you, you start to look into the Hebrew of it a bit more. Believe it or not, it actually gives an example. <coughs> One of the examples of, of the name of Obadiah is a priest in the tabernacle that would be a servant, but as he was preparing the sacrifice and everything else, he was doing this in a worship as well towards the Lord. So it gives you this example of his name. But there were at least 12 other men in Scripture who had this name, and four of them were in some way connected to the ministry in the temple. But as far as we know, when you look through the Scriptures, the people with with the name Obadiah were not the same man as the prophet Obadiah. He was a prophet to the southern house, or in the southern house of Judah, should I say, around 586 BC. 586 BC. And this message that he brings is somewhat different to most of the other prophets because his message centres not on Israel, but on Edom. So it centres on the Edomites. But we can take a few things from this. As I said, we know nothing about this man, Obadiah. But I do believe this is for a reason. The first thing we can take from this, whenever we look, let's say it's at a book or a prophet, I don't know whether you're the same, but I always like to look to see about the man. I'm always curious to see where he come from or what he did or the background of him. And it was strange with Obadiah because I, I didn't have that. But you know what? We ought to, I believe in this instance, the Lord wanted us or the Lord wanted the people who read this message. He wanted them to look at the message and not the man. And you know what, so, much, so many times in even our modern day, that's what we should be doing. We should look at the message and not the man. Because there's so many times when you look through scripture at any of the prophets, at any of the disciples, they all had their failings. But you see their message was perfect. Because it all pointed towards the Lord and Jesus Christ. So I think, you know, it's amazing when you start to look at things like this. But the second point is to take from this. We always say that God holds people accountable. And he does. But it's never more poignant than in the day and age that we live in. He holds nations accountable. And this was exactly the same with Edom. He brings individuals to repentance, but also he can bring nations to their knees for repentance. And some of them never do repent. Some of them never do. So the book of Obadiah has three main themes. And this may seem strange at first, but bear with me. It's believe it or not about a family feud. It's a family feud. It also assures us that God's people, that their enemies are the Lord's enemies. And thirdly, 
the theme of victory for Israel and, Lord's, and the Lord's people and the establishment of the Lord's kingdom. So that's one of the main themes of the book of Obadiah. So when we start to get into a few of the verses here, when you look at verse 1, it says, The vision of Obadiah. And it says, Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a rumour. A rumour. Rumour in the Hebrew is Shemua. Or Shemuah. Shemuah. This means a report or a report concerning Edom. In other words, the Lord has given <clears throat> the people of Israel a report about, about a prophecy concerning Edom. So that's what he's basically saying. There's been, a, there's been given a report to the people <clears throat> of Judah about Edom. And then we come across this word in the first verse. Ambassador is sent among the heathen. Now this is a Hebrew word called Tisa. And this means a messenger. But it also gives the idea in the Hebrew of a hinge of a door. In other words, there was a messenger of the Lord that was going to change the direction of things. And he was going to apply pressure to the nations around about Edom to rise up in battle against them. So that's, this is what the, the first verse of Obadiah is starting to get into straight away. And in the second verse, <clears throat> we are, Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen, and thou art greatly despised. Small is a Hebrew word, katan, and this means insignificant. And at this time, the Edomites are quite a powerful nation, <clears throat> But yet their fate has already been sealed. It's already been sealed. And even if, <clears throat> even in Ezekiel 35, chapter 35, verse 7 to 9, you'll hear what Ezekiel says about this. It says, Thus will I make Mount Seir. Now Mount Seir was Edom, the Edomites most desolate, and cut off from it him that patheth out, and him that returneth. And I will fill his mountains with the slain men, in their hills and in their valleys, and in all their rivers shall they fall that are slain with the sword. I will make thee perpetual desolations, and thy cities shall not return, and ye shall know that I am the Lord." So you even see there Ezekiel <clears throat> giving a similar prophecy of what is going to happen there. So if we look at verse 3 in Obadiah, it says, The pride of thine heart that deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, he shall bring me down to the ground. Now this was concerning the geography of where the Edomites actually lived. Now you've heard me mention there Mount Seir. Well, they actually lived or dwelt in the mountains of Seir. That's what they were called. And this country lay <clears throat> sort of south of the Dead Sea. 
and it was extremely difficult terrain, extremely difficult. In many parts, it was, it was completely inaccessible. And the kingdom of the Edomites would have, would have been about 40 miles wide, they say, and maybe um, about 100 miles long. And the Edomites themselves would have lived in these rocks. There were the, the hewn out caves. And they, they would have lived in these mountainside. And Petra, I'm sure you've heard of Petra, was the capital. Many people have been there. Many people have been to Petra. You've probably seen pictures of Petra all carved out into the rock. So anybody trying to attack this place, it was conceived that in military terms, it was impregnable. There was, there, there was no chance. There was that many choke points, there was that many small uh, uh, sort of um, alleyways to go down. <clears throat> it, was, it was inconceivable to try and to, to attack this. So they put all their faith in where they were and these mountainsides, and, the, and these Im, Im, impassable valleys and, and everywhere. They put all their faith in that. And that was their pride, you see. And then verse 4 in Obadiah, it says, <clears throat> Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. Now some say <clears throat> this is a reference to the fact that they lived in the mountainsides and that it, it could well be it could well be but I think though even as the prophet is speaking this I think the thrust of his message is directed at the power that was behind Edom the power that was behind Eden, Edom the hatred towards God's people because we've heard this before haven't we we've heard that this same sort of the same sort of uh, language before in Isaiah 14, 13. It says, For thou hast said in mine heart, I will ascend into the heavens. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. You see, there's always a power behind things. You see, even though the Edomites thought they were doing their own will, but there was a power behind it. And we can even see it with the nations of this day. They don't even know it, but there's a power controlling them. And it's always this struggle that we find throughout the Bible, and we're still seeing a struggle today. But it's a struggle that men have. It's certainly not a struggle that God has because it's all according to his plan and his purpose. So why was the judgment prophesied against the Edomites? Well, it was as simple as this. The Edomites attacked Judah. That's what they did. The Edomites sided with the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, against Judah. And the Edomites rejoiced that Jerusalem was burning. And it's around this point that you get the book of Obadiah, or that is written the book of Obadiah. In Psalm 137 and 7, it says, Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it, even till the foundations thereof. So you can see that this is what 
why Obadiah has prophesied this in the first place. So why did the Edomites hate the Israelites? Remember what I said to you, it was a family feud. Well, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 25. So if you go back to Genesis chapter 25. Verse 21. And it says, And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife. So Isaac had got married at this point. Abraham, Abraham's son Isaac married a woman called Rebekah. So here he is praying. He says, Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him and Rebekah his wife conceived. And the children struggled, look, struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, two nations, look, are in thy womb. And two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one shall be the stronger than the other. And the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, they were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over, like an hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. Notice there was a struggle. Even in the womb, there was a struggle between these two. And, they were, and they, were, they were two nations, or represented two nations. And you'll also see, if you let your eye run down, now carry on to verse 27. Now look at this, this is important as well. It says, And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter and a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in the tent. And Isaac loved Esau, but he did because he did eat venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sod pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall, there, shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, why was the birthright important? Why was it so important in the Bible? Well, the birthright is always emphasised in the Bible. It's emphasised for a reason, because it was a great honour. It means you had the rights and privileges of the family's firstborn. This meant if your father passed away, 
or in the absence of your father, the firstborn son would assume the father's authority and responsibilities. Everything that fell upon him. In addition to this, he would be the leadership or the leader of the family, but also he'd be the recipient of what they call the birthright, which meant you got a double portion of everything. A double portion of everything. It was a great honour in a family to have a birthright. But not only that, it was seen as a great blessing from God to have a birthright, to have the birthright. Now, when you see this, and you see that Esau despised this birthright, we have to remember something here. It was a foreshadow as well of Jesus Christ. It was a foreshadow, like a type. Now look, if you look in Colossians chapter 1 and 15, and you look at what, what it says here in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. It says, Who is the, the image of the invisible God? Look, the firstborn of every creature, that your eye run down to 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consisted. And he is head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. You see how important it was? Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we have an inheritance, or we have a, like a birthright status because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is when Jesus says, all authority have I gave unto you. You start to get it now. The authority, the responsibilities. He says, all authority I give unto you because he was able to. Because of the birthright. So that passed. When we, when we accepted Christ as our saviour, we had that status bestowed upon us. So you start to see this now. So Esau, despising his birthright, not only did it reveal his heart to the Lord, but it also showed a complete rejection for the Lord as well. Because he despised it. You see, because a lot of people, it sticks with a lot of people, and I wonder why. In, in Malachi, in chapter 1, it says, in verse 2, it says, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob. Listen, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons and of the wilderness. Now, some people say, well, you know, it's, it's not as harsh as that, but you know what? It basically gives that idea. That's what it gives the idea of, that he hated Esau. But the reason for this was because Esau showed utter contempt for God because he despised the birthright. He despised it. <clears throat> now, we know that, that Jacob, he got the birthright. Now, we know that Jacob did a bit of trickery here to get the birthright. But the, th the thing is, Jacob was going to get the birthright. 
He didn't need to do that. Because Lord, the Lord had already ordained him to get the birthright. But he decided that he was going to do a bit of trickery because he wanted it. But you have to remember, it was the fact, not how he got it, but it was his desire to have the birthright blessing of the Lord. You see, that was the difference. One despised it, one had a desire for it. You see, that was the difference. But you notice, I always laugh at this. The Lord dealt with Jacob about this. And he did a bit of trickery of his own. Because he woke up with the wrong wife. <laughs> Who said the Lord doesn't have a sense of humour? <laughs> but you notice, <clears throat> there was a struggle there. And this struggle would continue with these two men. But even after they died, you would see this struggle with the descendants that start to come out. Out of Jacob would come the twelve sons, which were the twelve tribes of Israel. And Esau became the father of the people of Edom. And you see this in, in Genesis 36 and 1. He says, now these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. That's what it says, Edom. But you'll also find something else as well. In the same chapter and verse 12, Genesis 36 and verse 12, you'll see something else that's mentioned. It says, Timna was a concubine, concubine to Eliphaz, Esau's son. And she bare to Eliphaz, Alamak, sorry, the Amalekite, or the... My Alma Fudge playing me up tonight, I tell you. <laughs> That's it. These were the sons of Adad, Esau's wife. So, the, so you get the founder there of the Amalekites. You get the founder of the Amalekites, and they were the enemy of the Israelites. And you see this through, throughout the scriptures. So when they were coming out of Egypt, if you remember, the Israelites were coming out of Egypt. They left Egypt, the journey through the wilderness into the land of Canaan, but the Israelites needed to pass through the land of the Amalekites and the Edomites. There's two lands. So when you look at Exodus 17, you read about this, Exodus 17. <clears throat> And then it says, <clears throat> then, came, uh, then came your man and fought with the Israel. And <laughs> I'm like, that's it. I'm really struggling with that tonight. Uh, <clears throat> and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. <laughs> Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass, when Moses held up his hands, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. So you start to see, straight away, there was this fight there with the Amalekites. There was that struggle with them. 
And then when you flip over to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. Let your eye run down to verse 14. And it says, And Moses sent out messengers, messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom. <clears throat> it says, Thus saith thy brother Israel. You see? So he's saying, This is thy brother Israel. Thou knowest all the travail that thou have befallen us. How our fathers went down into Egypt, and we have dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians vexed us, vexed us and our fathers. And when we cried unto the Lord, he heard our voices and sent an angel and have brought us forth out of Egypt. And behold, we are in Kadesh, a city in the uppermost of thy border. And then it says, let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country. We will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards, neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left until we have passed thy borders. And Edom said unto him, Thy shall not pass by me, lest I come out against thee with the sword. And the children of Israel said unto him, We will go by thy highway, and if I and my cattle drink of thy water, then I will pay for it. I will, I will only, without doing anything else, go through on my feet. And he said, Thy shall not go through. And Edom came out against him, with much people and with a strong hand. So you can see straight there, there's that conflict. Israel was trying to plead to them and say, look, we're brethren, let us through. But the Edomites were having none of this. But you see, the thing is to remember is that the Lord kept an account of everything that was happening. He kept an account of what they were doing. Even King Saul when he was appointed king over his realm, he was told to utterly destroy the Amalekites and all they had. And in 1 Samuel 15, verses 1 to 3, it says this, it says, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people and over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalekite did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Alamak, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant, suckling, ox, sheep, camel, and ass. Now know what he said. He said, go in there, he said, and wipe everything out. Wipe everything out. Now, people struggle with this because this is the Lord saying this. But you see, <clears throat> the Lord knows what he's doing. And when he says to go and wipe a people out, then he's doing it for a very good reason. But the Lord kept accounts of what these people were doing. And you notice something, because Saul didn't do it, that was it. He lost his kingship. He lost his kingship and it was given to David. I mean, David was always going to be king. But this is what it was. It showed Saul's disobedience to the Lord. So you see, when, when, the, word came on to, when the word came on to the prophet, 
You can see this was an ongoing family feud right the way through the ages, right the way up to the time of the prophet Obadiah brings this message from God. So if you look at Obadiah verse 10, you turn back to Obadiah please and look at verse 10. We'll get a bit more into this. says this, for thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, excuse me, and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou was as one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother, in the day that he became a stranger, neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of their distress. Thou should have not entered into the, the gate of my people in the day of their calamity, yea, they should not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape, neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own heads. So what happened to the Edomites then? We hear all this. The Lord has told the people of Judah exactly what is going to happen to the Edomites. Because they have done all this to you, because I have seen it, I am going to do the same unto them. So what happened to them? If you ever read any of the history books, which I do, I've got books of a historian called Josephus. And he has many records of what happened around the times, of, of especially this time and all around the times, if you like, the biblical history. And Josephus actually tells us that five years after the captivity of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar comes back. He comes back with a mighty army and he invades the land of Edom. And he takes them all captive and brings them to Babylon. Right? So he takes them captive and he prevails against them. But also, you also find out, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, which, which is roughly about 400 years, the history records also <clears throat> reveal to us something else. And Pastor Ken mentioned this. There was a high priest called John Hycanus. And Hycanus led a military campaign against the Edomites. And he enslaved them also. So there we have it again. Hycanus then instituted forced conversions upon the Edomites to Judaism. So we get this. And it even says, in a lot of the history books... It even says that this was an unprecedented move 
for a Judean ruler. It was never done. It's never usually done, ever. But this man did it. So he incorporated them into the people of Judah. So if we move on a bit further in history, and we look at Judea, when we come to the Gospels, if you like, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, on that time and and around the time of the birth of Jesus and that, you start to read that the Romans had taken over the land of Judea, and it's worth noting that Edomite in the Greek is a word, Idumean. So Idumean. Idumean was a, was a region of the kingdom of Edom. So you get Idumean, so that means Edomite. So once again, <clears throat> you will start to see a struggle between the two again. And I'll tell you why. Because when you read the Gospels, you'll hear of Herod the Great, or Herod the one who ordered all the babies to be killed in Bethlehem. Well, if you look where he was from, he was an Idumean. So he was an Edomite. So you start to see the Edomite, and then you look at the ancestry of Jesus, and he was a descendant of Jacob. So you start to see the struggle still, even in the New Testament. And then when you get to even the high priests, or even the governments, you start to look at them. For example, Caiaphas, who was the high priest at the time of Jesus. Now, Caiaphas' family were extremely wealthy, extremely important, the governments and everything. They literally had the hands in everything. But you see his family? They're Idumeans. They're Edomites. And he was the one who organised the plot to kill Jesus. So you start to see what is happening even in the New Testament. But remember what it said in Obadiah, verse 15. It said, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. So the Lord is speaking through the prophet. He says, look, what you've done, I'm going to do the same to you. Don't you think it's amazing that the Lord Jesus Christ prophesied of the siege of Jerusalem? And he said, well, that temple was the pride of all the Jewish leadership. It was worshipped above everything. It was the pride of them. They were, it was one of the wonders of the world. It meant absolutely everything to them. And they would lay their lives down to defend it. And they had to. Because in 70 AD, the Romans come and completely destroyed it. Not one block was standing. And they reckon there was over a million was killed in the siege. 
it was absolutely dis destroyed. And so were the people in it. And the right mean to this day, there has never been such a bloody siege on a city in military history. It's the worst that's ever been, ever been. So you see when the Lord said <clears throat> he was going to do it to them, what they had done to his people, he wasn't joking. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. Obadiah 17 and 18 <clears throat> says this, beautiful. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. And there shall be holiness and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them and they shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau for the Lord hath spoken it. Isn't it amazing <clears throat> that the Lord had spoken it and even all them times <clears throat> when God's people thought the Edomites had prevailed. No, God was keeping account. The Lord was keeping watch. And all the time that they thought they were getting away with it, then all of a sudden the Lord said, no, that's enough. Time. He called time on them. And we know, even when we look through this short book of Obadiah, we see how accurate the word of God is. We also see how he keeps his promises. And even now, if you like, even in the days that we live in, we are starting to see a spirit, a system, is rising up with the banking system, with the nations, with everything else. But let me tell you something, the Lord's keeping account of it. And you see all this world banking system, you see everything else, all the power behind it. Let me tell you, brother and sister, it's all got to come crumbling down. Because as they have done, he will do unto them. Isn't it amazing in this day and age that we live in, we can look around us so many times and think, Lord, what is happening? Lord, where are you in all of this? And I'm sure many, many times, the people of Judah, even the people of Israel in the northern house would have said the same thing. When everything seemed to be destroyed, when the people were being carried off, Lord, where are you? Because we have to remember there was always a remnant of people that were loyal to God. He always had a remnant. You can even see that from the prophets that he sent. There was always a remnant that were loyal to him. I'm sure they were thinking, Lord, what's happening here? Where are you in all this? And you know what? There's so many people saying the same thing today. Lord, what's happening? Where are you in all this? But we have to remember, brother and sister, the Lord keeps his word. He spoke it and it will happen because what's it said about this Babylonian system? It will come tumbling down Amen. and he will rule and reign and we will rejoice in that day. So God bless you. I hope you got something out of that this evening.